Welcome to the Georgia Fintech Academy podcast. The Georgia Fintech Academy is a collaboration between Georgia's fintech industry and the University System of Georgia. This talent development initiative addresses a massive demand for fintech professionals and gives learners the specialized education experiences needed to enter the fintech sector. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining the Georgia Fintech Academy podcast today. We are super excited to introduce a theme um, aligned with the embedded payments topic. So exploring embedded payments. And we have here today our guest, uh, Brian Lanehart, president and co-founder of Moment. Uh, We also have uh, a special guest from Arketi, Laura Burr. Um, Arketi had presented this opportunity to us, and we're super excited to have this um, on our schedule for podcast today. Laura, you want to say something quick for the audience? Yeah, thanks for having me on the show today. Arketi Group is a big fan of the Georgia FinTech Academy um, and this podcast, so I'm excited to get to listen in and be part of it. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, we also have Astrid. Um, Astrid, you want to do a quick introduction as well? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm Astrid Coyer Benitez. I am a current intern at the Georgia FinTech Academy, also a finance major with the FinTech minor at Kennesaw State University. I am a senior, so this will be probably one of my few last podcasts and uh, just excited to be here. Oh, I'm so sad. Just before we got this podcast kicked off, I was just uh, <laughs> recognizing Astrid for all her contributions. She's been uh, a couple years in at the Academy and extremely uh uh, impactful contributor, not only to the content that we publish, you know, social media presence, everything. So we'll we'll, we'll miss her uh, post graduation. Um, but just to get started, um, we wanted to just dive into getting to know Brian Lanehart. So Brian, I uh, I've been stalking your LinkedIn just a little bit. I know you have a history of. Um, product development, um, you know, leadership operations, uh, technical type roles and functions as well. Can you just spend a little bit of time, uh, you know, highlighting your background and, and journey in the fintech <laughs> industry? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so Moment is probably my seventh or eighth startup. So, you know, I'm serial entrepreneur and I didn't start in fintech. My first uh, first company was an education technology platform, grew it and sold it, um, did a quick foray into custom software development, grew that. Um, I was at a law firm. We went, started at January 4th. I had like five people. 12 months, 24 months later, we had 350. So history of really high growth stuff. So in the mid-teens, I was looking at, you know, what's what's the next challenge? There seemed to be a lot of opportunity. We had, I looked at um, what had gone on in the banking space. You know, we had the, the, the sort of the ancient players where you had to go into bank to get a loan. And then PayPal came up and kind of revolutionized a lot of the, the payments platforms. And then you had the green skies, the Clarins and the firms, very consumer facing brands starting to, um, starting to emerge. And so a friend of mine, a former employee worked at a company called Green Sky where I went and said, well, let me kind of see what this is about. <clears throat> Excuse me, learned a lot, met some good friends. And we decided that um, we wanted to give it a try. So most of us met there. Um, we left about a year, a year and a day later. We had to let for things to expire. We started, and we took a very different approach in it. Um, you know, the, the the market gaps that we saw were everyone wanted to be a a, a market facing, <clears throat> excuse me, a consumer facing brand. Our approach is a little bit different. We're going after more of the Mastercard Visa model. We're a platform. We're part of the fabric of embedded finance and embedded payments. And we also wanted to build a platform that was a little bit different. The platform that Moment has is a financial services delivery platform. 
The first financial service is consumer unsecured installment loans, where we talk about embedded payments. So what is moment we, sorry, embedded lending. What is moment we're an embedded financial services platform focusing on installment loans because of the gaps in the market we saw at the time. Being a lot of our, a lot of the large players wanted to own the consumer facing brand. They wanted to own the merchant in the middle. So we allowed them to do so. We'll just be the fabric. But also as a very young startup, those are the enterprise sales. So, And we knew that in order to grow up into the enterprise sales, we had to start with the smaller businesses. And smaller businesses don't have the IT resources to host all of that. So we started by saying, we're going to build an embedded financial services platform. We're going to put a front end on it so that the smaller business can take advantage of all the, the infrastructure that we play, that we built. And then over time, we'll eventually grow up into being a true embedded partner for some large enterprises. Hmm. So a slightly yeah. different approach than a lot of our competitors have taken. And something that I noticed on your on your um, website was uh, I think you made an article specifically talking about the home improvement industry and uh, how impactful it was, what you're offering, how impactful it was for for that aspect of it, which I thought was cool because you talked about the con- the contractor side and then also the client side, how it kind of mm-hmm. benefits uh, both of those. So I'm glad you touch on embedded payments. You know, some folks may not even know uh, on the on the podcast what embedded payments is. So do you mind just mm-hmm. kind of taking us briefly sure. through? what that means and, so, and what its significance is. Absolutely. So when we talk about embedded, I'll talk about embedded lending and embedded payments I kind of in the same in the same vein, because from a, from a loan perspective, if you don't if you don't facilitate the loan with the embedded payments, it's not worth a whole lot. Um, so when we talk about this also gets into why is the company called Moment? Because, you know, it's Moment of Need Financial Services, you know, and I'll start there by saying, most people, when they go to their mailbox, you, everyone, especially college students, right? You have like 35 offers, pre-approved credit card. You don't need a credit card or credit or a loan when you go into your mailbox. You need a loan when you're sitting in the, the orthodontist office and you have to get braces or a bridge that's going to be $25,000. Or, you know, your HVAC busted and you need, in the middle of Georgia summer, you need $7,500 $7, to fix your HVAC. So it's really about that moment of need. <clears throat> and what does embedded mean? So from a merchant, most of our almost all of our loans to date are merchant in the middle, meaning and there's an advantage to this. A consumer has a need. They will go out and find the contractor or the healthcare provider that can satisfy their need. That merchant or healthcare provider is already on the moment platform. They have something like an ERP or a CRM. So if I'm an HVAC or a roofer or a kitchen installer, I'm already using an app to track, <clears throat> to track my jobs, track my schedules, track my customers, all that sort of things. I don't want them to have to go, here's a whole nother platform that you have to learn to deal with the financing. So what we do is we take all of our financing and we embed it in the app they're already using. So a merchant goes to a home, a consumer has already chosen the merchant. They're like, I have confidence. I think this person's gonna do the job that I need. And the merchant says, how would you like to pay for it? You know, Do you wanna use your cash or somebody else's cash? Of course, most people say, I would love to get a loan for this. So during that sales process, the merchant invites a consumer to a loan. The consumer completes the application on their phone. They get approved for a credit limit. Then as a final step in the process, the the payments are also embedded in. The merchant says, I need to collect a $1,000 down payment so I can get you locked into my schedule or to my materials. So they then request funds from the consumer's loan, which is sitting at the bank, you know, at the bank that that is financing the consumer, not in the consumer's bank. They request funds from the consumer. The consumer um, approves the transaction. And then we reach out to our payments provider. We orchestrate the payment from the consumer's lending account that they were just approved for into the merchant's operating account. So the consumer's happy because they don't have to worry about, I got to go to get a bank. I might have to get underwritten. It's going to take days or weeks to get the money. It all ha- the whole That whole process happens in about three minutes. And largely because it's all embedded and we target that moment of need. 
Brian, can you spend a little bit of time talking about the the business benefit for that experience? So I'm assuming like, you know, you're able to maintain a customer during that experience. Um, and, and so that carries through um, with almost a seamless uh, digital experience. Um, can you speak a little bit about, you know, how this helps from a, a, a ROI perspective for a, a business that's incorporating this as part of their, their customer um, service? Yes. But it's not just the benefit. It's not just the business that benefits. So if you look at the Moment logo, it looks like a swirl, and there's three parties. You know, the the and Moment's sort of the invisible center, if you will. And so there's there's always three constituents. There's the consumer, there's the merchant, and there's the lender. So from the lender side, we look we work for sort of small regional banks, and they don't have necessarily national reach, but we do. So from the lender side, we're finding them consumers that aren't in their geographic footprint that they want to have inside their bank. So that's the, ben- the business benefit to the banks is we will bring you customers that you just can't quite reach. On the merchant side, um, we have a lot of uh, case studies. In, in some cases, merchants' revenue will grow 30% year over year consistently if they're using the platform reasonably. You know, why is that? So if I if I have a team, of, if I have five teams that do nothing but um, kitchen remodels, they can only do so many projects per month, right? And the only way to grow that, I have two ways to grow my revenue. I can either upsell my customers. So instead of doing $20,000 kitchens, I'm doing $40,000 kitchens, which is an easier thing to do and manage. Or I can go, instead of having five teams, I have 10 teams. Mm-hmm. Most merchants would rather say, I'm going to make my five teams as profitable as possible. So here, here's where the, sort of the rubber meets the road for that, for that consumer. A consumer might say, um, I have $10,000 for a kitchen. But by offering them financing, we can get them financing for a $25,000, dollars $45,000 kitchen. Which, of course, makes the consumer happy because they're not just going, I'm kind of getting the base level. You know, my dishwasher's broken. I just need the dishwasher. You get a whole brand new kitchen at a price you can afford, which also makes the merchant happy because the merchant's not making a $10,000 sale. They're making a $45,000 sale. Mm-hmm. So the ROI to the merchants is rather dramatic. We've had some cases where merchants' revenues are doubling, even though they're not adding labor. They're not adding additional teams. They're just being able to upsell by offering higher quality products or higher quality experience to the consumer. And the consumer can also afford it because they're financing the, the loan over a term. Mm. Wow, that's pretty exciting. That, yeah, I find that so great because on the consumer side, right, that's kind of what we think about. Um, something that happened here in Georgia is like, I think during the some some freeze a couple months ago, um, mm-hmm. like my Lots stepfather's, yeah, yeah. The, the pipes burst, right? And so he had this whole ordeal. I think they waited I don't know, like an absurd amount of time, like one month, two months from, you know, the pipes bursting to them getting the house, you know, uh, fixed up. So when you say that, it's it's a real life application, because I feel like for him, that could have been radically different had, you know, maybe that process of uh, the lending part been a little bit easier. So that's very impactful on the consumer side, but also on the merchant side as well. Right. With revenue. Yep. Yep. I'm interested also uh just nerding out a little bit about the implementation <laughs> of the technology uh, um you know, behind mm-hmm. the service. so um you know what is the approach for for implementation and, and how have you um you know navigated i think this the operational challenges um you know with the 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 customers that you are integrating with Sure. So we make it very easy on the merchant side. Um, even enterprise merchants can get started with us without doing an implementation at all. Because like I said sort of, sort of earlier, we host everything. So if a, if a merchant wants to white label the whole platform, private label the whole platform, we can do that for them. There is no implementation. They, they click. So we do underwrite merchants. So the first step is the merchants come to our website. They say, I want to be a part of the program. 
we collect information, we risk score them, we do a lot of KYC, KYB, and then we approve them or decline them. That's the implementation process, filling out a form. So once you're on the platform, you have two options. You can either use our infrastructure, which is simple, easy, everyone, you know, that's same day kind of stuff. Like as soon as you're onboarded and you're approved, you can get started, you know, that day or the next day after you go through a training. But there's no technical implementation. If you're an enterprise and you want to embed the APIs, that's a little bit more cumbersome. You know, we're, we usually see enterprises go live within about 30 days, which is still pretty quick. And that's just them going, here's my ERP. Here's where I want these functions embedded into my ERP or my CRM. You know, these are the color schemes. These are the APIs. This is the authentication. So it's, you know, it's really depending on how how sophisticated the the uh, merchant or their enterprise is that wants to, to do business with us. Yeah. So like I said, even the enterprises will say, let's do a small pilot. I don't want to go through the the cost or our headache of doing a full implementation, a full embedded implementation. Let's just do a, pro- a pilot project where we can get started tomorrow, um, adding merchants to the platform and just kind of see how the program does. If the program scales as quickly as it is, then we'll make the investment in doing the full embedded. From a fraud perspective, is there like best practice or <laughs> like, does it, does it matter if there's, you know, the two paths that you highlighted, does that play a, no. a big role for not in the not in the fraud or the KYC or the compliance. That that's all standard and, and and embedded into our platform. And so everyone gets the same experience from the security perspective, from the regulation perspective, from the compliance perspective. Yep. That's the same either way. I, I'm curious, Brian. Um, like, who who is your merchant client base? Like, are there any examples you can give us just to kind of give us an idea of? of who is currently using the platform or like, are, are there any trends that you're seeing right now, certain industries that are using it more, leveraging it more? Um, a lot of the trends that we're seeing, um, this kind of financing is fairly, um, so I don't say this, uh, recession resilient. I won't say recession proof, um, recession resilient. During a recession process, people invest in two things, their health and their home, because they're staying at home more often. So as we come into this recession, hopefully we'll have a soft landing, fingers crossed. Um, we'll still see some growth. We'll still, we'll see moderate growth, but still see some growth as we see also interest rates being high. People aren't buying homes like they were, they, they were buying homes, you know, when the, when interest rates were zero, everyone's investing in their home. So we're still seeing, you know, these little bit more conservative growth trends in home improvement than we've seen in the past, but we're still growing through it. And then on the healthcare side, sort of, same sort of thing, you know, my teeth hurt, uh, my kids need orthodontia. I'll go ahead and invest in that now, as opposed to a very expensive vacation or trying to buy another home. So we'll see moderate, moderate, moderate to modest growth through the, through the hopefully the, the soft landing of this recession in 2024. But there's no real, real trends. I mean, one thing that we believe in is, or one thing we're trying to do is be pervasive. The, the platform is meant to be vertically agnostic. We're in home improvement today, and elective, elective medical. You know, we want to be in general retail. And there's a whole bunch of pockets out there that people just don't think about. Like someone came across, someone came to us and said, "Did you know horse trailers? Like really wealthy farmers who who travel horses. Those horse trails are $150,000. There's one financing provider, and it's all paper." I was like, wow. Oh my gosh, like that's amazing. Um, airline mechanics coming out of airline school, Delta makes them purchase their tools. Those tools are fifty to eighty thousand dollars. There's one financing partner. So everyone thinks home improvement is a, is a is a massive tam, and it is. But there are hundreds of little pockets that yeah that we could also play in. Wow, that's, that's huge. That's huge money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is. That is <laughs> crazy. You know, I one of the questions that I, I had uh, prepped was just around innovation and like what's next for a moment. Um, and obviously, there's all these use cases and scenarios of which this could be applied um, across industries. But what do you what do you anticipate is on the horizon um, as far as maybe product features? 
um, or even target markets. So we'll extend to, so our maximum loan size today is about 55,000. Um, we're about to go up to 100,000 unsecured. Um, beyond that, we'll start getting into the secured market because once we start securing things, you know, think about solar, we'll put a lien on the, on the property in the house so that when the house sells, if, you know, secure the loan, the house sales will get paid first kind of thing. We'll go into the secured lending. Secured lending gets gets interesting, too, because we have a lot of people who come to us and said, you know, it'd be great if I could put a five hundred thousand dollar pool house in the back of my in the back of my yard and get a moment loan for it. We're not there yet. But once we do the secured lending and we increase the uh, loan sizes, then that's kind of where we're going. Um, you know, that that's from the, the loan size perspective and then additional verticals. There's a lot of verticals we want to we want to go in, go into. Um, excuse me, Yamaha was a strategic investor. We'd love to um, give loans to their motorsports and water sports. And then the, the final one is we have a, we have a couple of very large enterprises that, that want us to go international with them. So we're looking at Canada, Brazil, Western Europe, Southeast Asia, things like that in 24 and 25. Mm, that's exciting. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time before we wrapped up, because I just know Moment has been in the news in, in multiple spaces lately. Um, and you guys are doing incredible things in the industry. He spent a little bit of time talking about, you know, where you are um, as an organization and some of the, the highlights and achievements that you guys have had to date um, that we should you know, make our audience aware of. Um, we're very big on culture. You know, one of our common themes is nobody gets anywhere alone. And we believe that very strongly. Uh, so if you look at one of the pillars, you know, when, when there were three of us that founded the company, myself, Barclay Keith and Lena McDermott, and we were very insistent back in 2019 that one of us holds the culture flag. Like that's one of the pillars the company is built on. And we were certainly not be where we are today if we didn't have if we didn't focus on culture and how we treat people and, and things of that nature. And so most of our awards have been with because of our culture. We've won a couple of innovation awards, but I think our culture awards outnumber everything else. So, no, that's what really, do you guys that's, think? I mean, I'll say from a, a millennial perspective, that's <laughs> culture is a big part of what we're looking at, right? And our, our target employers once yeah. we graduate. So just know that that is a very big uh, factor that we look at, right. um, especially me and my peers. That's one of the considerations I had um, as I'm currently interviewing is, yeah, it's great to work for, you know, someone that gives you great compensation or benefits. But, you know, what is it like when I step in the door and, mm -hmm. you know, am I making an impact in a good way? So I, I commend you and your team for holding that culture flag all the way through. Yeah, I'll, I'll, two bits of advice. I'll look up toxic behavior carryover. That's one of Lena's passionate topics. And then playfulness as a sign of psychological safety and how that plays into innovation. There's actually a group that studies this in the nation that studies this in product departments. And I'm writing actually, it down. Uh, <laughs> a shameful plug here for Leah, but I, I got to hear her speak at Money 2020, and I have my little pin um, just to remind me of of that. But I, I think that might be a future topic for us to get her to speak Absolutely. on. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, to Asher's point, I think internally. That culture really matters and it resonates, I think, with the brand, the moment brand, um, with what you see online, the tone of how you guys are communicating uh, to the general public. So it's, it's really exciting. Um, just in the last few minutes of, uh, before we close, I um, want to just focus uh, kind of in on a student audience that we do have listening in, um, you know, thinking about your journey and, and what you highlighted at the beginning of this call. 
do you have any insights, um, <laughs> you know, wise words of, of wisdom to, you know, impart mm-hmm. on our student audience as they, you know, continue to navigate, um, you know, the education and, and certification, mm-hmm. just prepare for that transition into the industry? Uh, two bits of advice. Um, I'll say this. So when I was an undergrad, I had to have 136 hours to graduate. I have 209. I did everything I could to make myself as well-rounded as possible. Like take a psych class, take a music history class, take an art class, take a stats class, even if it's not in your in your major. You know, go take a random business class, go listen in on a computer science class. Make yourself as well-rounded as possible and focus on communication. There are so many brilliant students that come out that really struggle with being able to say, I have an idea. It's like, I know you have a great idea. I can't wait to hear it. And they just can't figure out how to express it. It's that. And then as a as an undergrad, anything you can do to get real world access. You know, um, one, one of the companies I work with, they have a really interesting program where 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 students are like, I want to be a CEO one day. Like they're bold about it. Like I want to be CEO one day. I will come and do anything in your company as long as I do it for six months and then move departments and then move departments, and then move departments. Because I want that real world training to see how a business works. And those resources are just different. They're just different. And it's not because of it's not because they have a particular skill. It's because they have a passion and they know to be who they want to be. They have to learn every aspect of the business. So many students come out and say, I'm a I don't know, I'm an engineer and I just want to be an engineer. And then how do I get to be like a CTO or CEO? It's like you can't you can't be a CTO. You can't be a C-suite if all you do is have this one skill. You just can't. You have to have the communication and you have to be able to, to go around the business. And a lot of times we will joke at moments like I'm so one of my other roles is CTO. Am I the best CTO in North America? Probably not, but I'm the most knowledgeable CTO that also knows the business the best. Mm-hmm. Right? Our chief information security officer is the same way. He's like, I'm a business guy. I just know the most about security out of everyone in this team. Yeah. And it's that, that's part of what makes Moment special is everyone has so many skills. So if our chief revenue officer, who during his quarterly business review said, you know, he, he went to the sales team and says, part of our job is to protect this house. He understands what security means from from his perspective and his team's perspective. So everyone in the organization at the top level, we can all play each other's roles a little bit. And because of that, we all have sort of each other's backs and we're looking at each other. So when we make a decision, we're trying to make a decision in the greatest, the holistic benefit of the, of the company. So make yourself as well-rounded yeah. as possible. Yeah. Wow, that's really yeah. wise words there. Diversification. <laughs> Diversity. Right, like. I think uh, the rotational aspect really helps. And we've been striving from the academy perspective to identify those opportunities. You know, we um, uh, one of the, the the joys of working with the FinTech Academy is the the project experiential learning element, which I think mm-hmm. crosses mm-hmm. over into what you're talking about and bringing yep. that into the classroom in some way. So it doesn't necessarily need to be a, a formalized internship or a job opportunity. We can do it as early as um, uh, and, and integrated with the curriculum. And so we're always looking out for those opportunities for our students. So exciting things to come, but I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, anything that you guys want to think, uh, say Astrid or Brian before we wrap up the call? I think this is a great discussion. We got takeaways, obviously, for the students. It was great to learn about and the trifecta of the, the customers or the um, the, the participants in this space um, for uh, lending in embedded payments at moment. Um, but anything you guys want to say as we wrap up? I was going to ask Astrid, as, as a student, are there any trends that you that you guys are seeing that are that are coming that we should be aware of, either from a culture, from a employees, you know, college students graduating, stepping into the market, or other general trends? 
Ah, I knew that was going to be a question. Um, <laughs> I would say, you know, I'm taking a course right now, a fintech course that's uh, specifically talking about like the impact of fintech in, in the banking realm. And something that's really interesting about the author is he kind of talks about how the experience, right? A millennial experience is different than other generations before us, but the generation that's coming after us, how they're their experience in banking and payments and lending mm-hmm. is going to be radically different. And so you have to kind of have this beyond forward uh, thinking, right, of how you're going to do that. And something that they mentioned was like voice, uh, voice activated and, you know, the the um, the Apple vision goggles and how it'll be a much more digital voice kind of activated very personalized experience and so i find that interesting in mm-hmm. in that obviously you want friction to come down as you make any payments but to be in a world where you know now everything is voice instead of touch or mm-hmm. you know maybe i go into a store and it's not so much that i'm looking for the point of sale but it's more you know virtual and so it's it's more experience led which i find really intriguing so that's kind of where my head is at but i think what you guys are doing at moment is is uh very important not just for consumer but for merchant right and i could see you guys kind of developing that technology as it goes along because friction is one of those main pain points so um right would be interesting to see how those technologies kind of develop over the years but very excited for the future so I'll, i'll take your response and i'll take you into the future even further so we have a thesis that every consumer at every point in time should have their own credit score based on the context of where they are and what they're doing. So Astrid has a credit score that's just an average, let's say it's you know it's a 750. She's walking into her college bookstore because she needs loans. Well, we'll go ahead and say this is a government-backed loan or dip into your scholarship to help facilitate that payment and then give you a little bit more if you need it based on the context. But now you're going to buy a car. I know what your risk score is because I'm, tra- I'm tracking all the behaviors and I can say that, well, you know, here's a, here's a, Here's a, a loan as she goes into the dealership. So she knows what she could qualify for. So she can have a positive, confident buying experience, which is going to go do a, a shopping experience at FIPS because she's got a, a gala she has to go through. Here's a loan before you walk into FIPS and here's the merchants that are on the network. But every time you're making a purchase, your risk score is going up or down based on the context of your behavior and where you are at the time. We believe that's the future. That's where it's going. Yeah. And it. You I was going to say, that's Sorry. cool, but it's also petrifying at the exact same time. Like, I don't know, <laughs> I know how good keen I am about, risk, about a score every time, but I, I do see its benefit, right? Um, right. Yeah, definitely agree with that. All right, guys. I think it's a good point to wrap up. Appreciate everyone for joining us, um, listening out on our podcast. Um, for more uh, information about the Georgia FinTech Academy, please visit us at www.georgiafintechacademy.org. Uh, sign up for our newsletter, listen to uh, podcasts like this that we post um, quite often. Um, Brian, for our audience, is there uh, any uh, instruction that you can give as far as uh, people that would like to learn more about Moment or connect with you guys? Yeah, they're always free to reach out on LinkedIn. Um, the website always has the latest job postings, including internships that'll be coming in the spring. <clears throat> so feel free to reach out. Perfect. All right. Thank you all for joining. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. 
The Georgia Fintech Academy podcasts are available on iTunes and Spotify. To obtain additional information about the Georgia Fintech Academy, please visit our website at georgiafintechacademy.org.